All right, well, good morning. Just <clears throat> thinking in the car on the way over here, just as we look back on time and, and how fast, just how fast life goes and just to be here today in this building to see what God has done is just so remarkable. So, so thankful to be here. Uh, in the last several weeks, as you know, we've been going through uh, the beliefs of this church. We felt like that was really important um, for a very, very small season to get away from expositional teaching to just share our heart with what we believe, what our convictions are on, on the scriptures. Uh, and we're finishing it up with the solas today. Um, so let's pray and we'll um, look forward to what the Lord has for us. Father God, thank you for this building. Thank you for your church. Enable our minds to receive your word, Lord. Um, I'm nothing without you, God. I, I just pray that you'd make up for my weakness, that uh, your word would be spoken to your people in a timely manner. We pray grace upon grace, Lord. Show us your mercy today. And we pray that our hearts be ripe and ready and our, our ears be ready to hear. In, in Jesus' name, amen. So before we go into the solas, let's give it just a kind of a brief history lesson on, on the Reformation. The Reformation was a series of movements birthed in the 4th and 5th century to criticize certain aspects of the Roman Catholic doctrine and practice, culminating in the 16th century with the establishment of the Protestant churches. Right? So the Reformers were, were trying to bring the Catholic Church in line with what they were reading in the Bible. It's so be no different that for us if we read the scriptures, if we're under leadership and we start to feel that, hey, that, that's not really lining up with the word of God, right? That's going to be a problem. And this was highlighted by Luther's act of nailing his 95 thesis to the castle door on October 31st, 1517. So the five solas, sola is the Latin word that stems from the Reformation, and you might have heard it before. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone. Right? So historically, this has been what has defined evangelical, the evangelical church. Okay? So it's pretty much a summary of Reformed theology. The solas show us the glory of God's gracious salvation and sets the tone for true theology. And as we've kind of mentioned in previous weeks, this also... It shapes the way we interpret scripture. It shapes the way that we live our lives. So the five solas served, as Spurgeon would say, a, as a collective rallying cry of the Protestant reformers. And they simply said, enough is enough. No more false teaching, no more spiritual abuse, no more greed mongering, no more works-based religion. And this was all coming from a man, the Pope. And these five solas distinguish the reformers from the teachings in Rome. All right, so the first one is sola scriptura. Um, obviously, I love that song because you can think about what that could be like as we get to learn that song. It's just, it, that, was, that was awesome. And I would say 70% of our time in the next half hour is going to be on this particular subject because I think it's really, really important. So sola scriptura is by scripture alone. And this is truly the heart of the Reformation because really all goodness flows from sola scriptura. 
We are ever growing, ever changing, ever conforming our beliefs and our lives to what the Bible says. And that's a lot of authority. And therefore, all theology must be grounded in Scripture. What we believe about Scripture forms our doctrinal beliefs. It forms what we believe about the gospel and what we believe on salvation. So that's great, right? Because we're not trying to reinvent the wheel, right? But just stay true to the word, okay? Now, Spurgeon said this. The Apostle Paul and Jesus regarded the statements of Scripture as conclusive. They took the counsel of the Scriptures, and so they ended the matter. It is written was to them proof positive and indisputable. So we talk about things like holy, holy, holy is the Lord. These words that have great impact and power. How about thus saith the Lord? That was their final word. Enough for their minds and their hearts. Enough for their conscience and their understanding. And that's a powerful thing in the world we live in today. So many messages coming from so many different places in our lives, do we not? And our role as pastors is very simple. To teach you the word of God. Not to counsel you with our opinions. You don't want our worldly bright ideas. You don't need my eloquence and my sophistication. There's not much there anyway. Okay? Our priority is this. To battle for you prayerfully on our knees in the word of God. And when we come on Sunday mornings, you should observe us constantly being moved by Scripture. It's not story time. This is not entertainment. And I think most of you recognize that by now, or else you probably wouldn't have been here this long. Right? So there's three simple elements of Bible exposition. This is what you should expect from us every week. We read you the passage, we explain the passage, and we exhort and apply the message. It's not just information that we're trying to transfer, but we're trying to urge you. There's something that needs an urging. And let me just simply say, too, that sometimes we say apply the word, and it's important. But sometimes the best application is just to believe it. Sometimes we just need to believe the word. Sometimes there's not something to go out and do, okay? So, three simple reminders on what the Word of God is. Three simple reminders. Number one, simply spoken, Scripture is how God speaks to us today. He has spoken. It is the writing of the living God, each letter pinned with the Almighty Finger. His Word is the supreme authority. Absolutely infallible and without error. That's what we believe. So I finally get to the first verse, and that's too long of talking without bringing in the scripture. So I don't feel comfortable with that, but here we go. There's plenty of scriptures. Second Peter 1, his divine power has given us everything for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So how does God interact with his word? Well, in many different ways. I just want to mention a few because I think this is interesting. 
A proverb is a proverb. It's a principle, not a promise. A promise is a promise. Jesus says he's coming back. He's coming back. A precept is a precept. A parable is a parable. There's so much to learn about Scripture. Let me share this verse with you, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. God, who commands light to shine out of darkness, shines in our hearts, giving us the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This light bulb of truth that goes off in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. Well, how does God do that? Well, he does that by his spirit working through the word. Hebrews 3, 7 confirms that the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture, and he's speaking through Scripture. One of the most powerful workings and truths, doctrinal truths about the Holy Spirit, is his role and ability to illuminate the truth. We can't understand the truth. There's no knowledge, no understanding of anything scripturally apart from the Holy Spirit. So if you, you say, How? I, I, my, my mind is really coming alive to that truth, it's only because of the Holy Spirit. Because that's his role in our life. So scripture teaches us, the scripture teaches us the wisdom of salvation through faith in Christ and what we need to be equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17 says, All scripture, not some, all, is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God might be complete, equipped for some good work, equipped for every good work. You've been created in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world for good works, and guess what? The scripture equips you for that. Amen for that. I know for me. Remember, the world is void of the Spirit and cannot discern spiritual things. The world cannot discern Scripture. Okay? Ephesians 4.18, expect the ignorant to be ignorant. Number two, Scripture is our food and our sustenance. Scripture's soul food. And we cannot survive without it. And food nourishes and strengthens And the word is infinitely more important than food itself. Think about how we feel sometimes, how I feel about coffee in the morning. That's the first thing I run to, right? You think about this meal back here that we're going to partake in here in a little bit. How much we enjoy that meal. Well, come tomorrow, you're going to need another meal, right? That meal is going to last you for today. It's a big, hearty meal, and we need little, consistent meals, and not just on Sunday. We need fuel for our day, especially in the morning. Especially in the morning. So I'm going to read a couple scriptures here. Psalm 63.1. Oh God, you are my God, and early will I seek you. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One is I think when we start our day, we need perspective, right? One of my favorite verses, Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom and all these other things will be added unto you. 
Would you seek God first? We are finite beings. We have a limited amount of physical strength. And I don't know about you, but just by the end of the day, what happens with our strength? In our own strength, at least in our physical bodies, we're tired. We're tired. And when you get up in the morning, and I know that some of you that get that are early risers and the teenagers, it's a little tougher, but you'll get up early one day. You'll reestablish that pattern. A lot of people sleeping at 10. So your early morning is maybe 10 a.m. Okay, I can accept that for a season of life. <laughs> All right, but here's what I want you to get. If you're an early riser, you know this if you're out with your Bible and coffee in the Lord in the morning. God's mercies are new every morning. It starts in the morning. And when that sun arises, there's a full tank of mercy waiting for you. And God intends that every day. When the day starts and the day ends, when that new day starts, it starts all over again. Pouring out his mercy time and time again, day after day, day after day. Little side note, the thing that God promises families the most is covenant and mercy because we screw it up all the time. God gives families constant mercy. So we seek that in the morning. Psalm 1-2 says, His delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates day and night. He's like the tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. Right? Fruit takes time and it takes patience. Number three, Scripture is our defense. Scripture is our weapon for warfare. The sword of the Spirit is what? It's the Word of God. If you enter into battle without the sword, I think you recognize that you're in trouble. You've heard me say this, that singing the Psalms gives us a vocabulary of resistance against our enemies. Because if you think that when we sing that last song, it doesn't matter. And I love AJ get up here. I'm not musically inclined. Nobody cares and God doesn't care. But I'll tell you who, does, who, who, who takes, who really hates that. And that's the enemy of our souls. He hates that. And you've heard me say this. This, this is one of the ways that God equips us to do what we're called to do. Because we're in this battle, right? Right? So, I believe that the greatest attack on God's word in the modern day in the church is the, is the attack on the sufficiency of Scripture. Okay? And it sounds something like this. I just need a revelation. I'm struggling. I just need, I just need a word from the Lord. Can I just encourage you to not do that? I, ch- I chased that for years. Like chasing your tail. You don't need a word from the Lord when you have the word. Now, I, you might be asking, what... What about the difficult decisions and the things that I'm unsure about? Well, especially when you're young, when, when you're a young adult and you're making decisions. And it could be a spouse or it could be a job or it could be these directional things. If it go A or B. And I realize that life presents itself with difficult decisions, right? But here, here's a, a starting point for that. 
Does it violate scripture? That's not a bad place to start when we're dealing with those situations. And let me give you a couple little encouragements. Pray, humble yourself before God, seek wisdom from proven godly leaders who know the word and are going to actually give you the word of God, not their opinions. Check your motives, be willing to wait. When in doubt, serve self-sacrificially. Right? But more than anything, saturate yourself in the scriptures and in prayer and follow Christ. If I'm going to give a young person one bit of advice on the will of God and deal with all these decisions, okay, the disciples asked that. Where are we going, Jesus? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Follow me. Do you think that answered all their questions? I don't think so. Now, th- there are many nuances to the will of God. I and mean, we won't go into all of those. It, there, there's at least three. But I can tell you this, that if you're, if you're struggling with things that you want answers for that you don't have for the future... You are not meant to know the decreative will of the Lord for the future. That belongs to him. God willed the world into existence by the word of his mouth. That's the decreative will. Are you going to stop that? No, you're not going to stop that. There are certain things that God says, I'm going to make and I'm going to decree. You cannot stop that. I could share two verses, Deuteronomy 29, 21. The secret things belong to God. Matthew 6, 34, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow. Worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble in and of itself. Well, that's for sure. (laughs) Because you know that there there is this... You know, in Jesus' mind, like, guys, you can't handle. You can't handle what might be coming down the road. You need to trust me today. Follow me, cling to my word. Hebrews 1 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us. By his son. Hebrews 2.3. How shall we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by our Lord. And it was attested to us. By those who heard. While God also bore witness. By signs and wonders. And various miracles. And by gifts of the Holy Spirit. Distributed according to his will. Why signs and wonders and various miracles? Why? To point people to the truth. To confirm the truth. The gifts were a part of the foundation of the church. Ephesians 2.20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. How many times do you lay a foundation, Rusty? 
That was an opportunity for me to see if Rusty was awake. And he, he was. He was awake. <laughs> yeah, one time. You lay a foundation one time and, and every builder knows it. Okay. Signs and wonders were a confirmation of the apostleship and as a means that revelation was given until the canon was finished. Do you understand that when I say that, they didn't have what we have? You realize that, right? What we have that they did not have? <clears throat> when, we, when we elevate signs and wonders and gifts and, and experiences, we devalue the Word of God. At the very least, please don't undervalue the Word of God. Now, these gifts existed through prophets and judges and apostles and history through various redemptive periods for His truth to be revealed to attest to the truthfulness of the Word of God, which was supreme. Signs are secondary, signs and wonders, signs and wonders, and really all experiences. All experiences are servants to the Word of God. Now, this might be a shock to you. To desire experiences is not a greater desire, but a lesser experience. Don't go back to the foundation. Don't go back to the nursery. Don't go back to your infancy when we have the word. Hebrews 5.14 says this. Spiritual food, the word of God, is for the mature who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to discern good from evil, right from wrong. That's a pretty good deal. The word of God is for mature believers, right? So we can know what's right and what's wrong. Now, this is really, really, this is really great. In 2 Peter 1.19 through 21, I want you to listen to the words of Peter because he's talking about the transfiguration. This was a blow your mind type of experience. It could be the, it said that could be in, in your mind, you might think this is the greatest worship service ever. And you're hanging out with Moses and Elijah and Jesus, and it's just like, it's, you're, thinking, you're thinking they'd be just like, you know, a modern day worship service, right? No. They were terrified at the presence of the Lord. And you remember that. In a world that wants to experience all of these things. And this is what he said. This is, this is really good. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. And we were there with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention. I could go on. It's a great verse, but I'll cut a little time on that. 
Peter is saying, we have the confirmed word of God. And that is greater. That's greater than what this little, this, this, this was a good experience, but that's, that's not our foundation. The word of God is far superior. It's a far superior means of revelation. It's, if scripture is sufficient to make us wise for life in Christ, then scripture alone can be our guide to walking with him. So I want to be real clear on this subject here. Um, What I'm not saying is that you can just kind of huddle up with you and your Bible and Jesus and your coffee in the corner and just kind of do your own thing. It's not what I mean. So don't think that. It's not a solo act. You'll, You'll never produce fruit or grow into maturity apart from the church. And us recognizing our need for one another. And scripture confirms that. So we talk about this idea of not going beyond the word. How about this? How about we just stand behind scripture? What if we just did that first? Learn to study and understand the scripture. I had a pastor in college come. And, and so many things I don't remember about college. And I remember him very distinctly saying this to us in small group. Study the scripture very, very, very slowly. Learn the words, phrases. Is it descriptive? Is it prescriptive? Let scripture interpret scripture. You know, be careful and cautious to build theologies and doctrines based on one verse. Because you won't see that in scripture. You're going to see one verse confirming another. See how all the sections of the text are a part of a bigger picture of God's redemptive plan. And the golden rule of hermeneutics is context, context, context. Making sure that when we're reading the text, we have a good understanding of those things. So here's my prayer. You know, my, my prayer is that God would help us see Jesus Christ in the text. And not just Romans and Ephesians. But how do we see the character of God, the attributes of God in the midst of Hosea or Isaiah? Right? How do we see the attributes and the character of God in the book of Psalms? Right? That's, that's like all of God's character. But the most beautiful gem of them all, and it's not all the time, but we should be challenged to think this way. Where is Jesus in the text? Because we need this little reminder because of the teachings in the modern day and our own pride and our own just ignorance at times and lack of discernment. But we're not the heroes of the story. It's sometimes we put ourselves in the story when we're not supposed to put ourselves in the story. 